The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the best thing on the Internet, House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Whether you're planning to buy or sell a house, call in now with your question. Our goal is to help you with any real estate transaction. So turn off the cat videos and pay attention. Here's your host, Duncan Smythe. Welcome to House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe. 866-472-5788. That's our phone number if you'd like to call in. There's only one reason a house doesn't sell. It's always about price. That's our topic for this week. So how do you arrive at the best asking price for your house? Determining the list price for a house can be challenging. Setting the asking price requires a lot more than just guessing at a value and placing that price on your property. As you look at recent home sales in your town, not all similar homes are comparable to yours. If the sale price of similar homes in your neighborhood has changed over the past six months, does that mean your house should be priced higher or lower than those homes? These are factors to be considered when you're formulating an asking price for your house. Comparable sales. Now, everybody knows that. You need to calculate where your house should be price positioned by evaluating recent sales of homes that are similar to yours. Plus, you also want to consider properties that are currently on the market because that's your competition. How do you arrive at a realistic asking price? Look at all the homes sold in your town in the past six months. Here's what you have to consider. You have to consider the features of the property, like the architectural style of your house, the floor plan, and the amenities. All of that gets taken into account. If you have a bi-level home, you're not going to compare it to a Cape Cod-style home. The style has to be the same. The condition of your home is a consideration. Is your home recently updated? Uh, Having a newer kitchen, newer baths, newer fixtures? This plays a role in your home's value. Staging. We've talked about this before, but proper staging is essential if you want to get the best price for your home. Sometimes you'll find that you can list your house for a higher asking price if you've taken the right steps or taken bold steps to stage your property. What you're going to do is you're going to find the house that is the most similar to your home. So, as I said, same style, same number of bedrooms, same number of baths, same number of garages. Property size should be close. Uh, and similar updates, because if there are two identical houses on the market right next door to each other, even small differences can make your home worth less or worth more than the house next door. For example, age of the kitchen or age of the baths, finished basement, all of that factors into the value of your home. Your motivation is an issue when you're pricing your house. Your, dis- your degree of urgency always plays a role in pricing. I'm going to discuss this on a later show, but if your sale is urgent, that's a factor you want to consider when you're, when you're setting the asking price for your house. Uh, market conditions. The overall state of the economy has to be considered. Current interest rates are always a factor, as well as demand for properties in your town, because as, as I've said before, real estate markets are highly localized. 
the, the uh, demand for properties in your town may be very different from a town that's, say, five miles away. These things all play a, a role in the proper pricing of your house. What is the most colossal mistake you can make? Overpricing. Here's a quick news flash for you. You are not going to find a sucker who will overpay for your house. I've actually met sellers who believed that if they set the asking price at, say, $50,000 or $20,000 above the market value, that a naive buyer would magically appear and pay their asking price. But you know something? Buyers are, lots, are a lot smarter than that now, and they're a lot better informed because of the Internet. They're much more sophisticated. They have already scoured the web, and they found every house like yours on the market. Uh, they may have visited every house for sale in town. A lot of uh, buyers go to a lot of houses sometimes. They're going to know at first glimpse that your house is overpriced. Many times I've spent the afternoon showing houses to buyer clients who walked into a house and immediately told me it was overpriced. Buyers are going to point out that a similarly, similarly priced house in the neighborhood has an extra bedroom, uh, was recently painted, has a larger property. All of those things make your house appear less valuable. They're going to be quick to compare your house to others with a very critical eye, and they're going to reject the house they perceive to be overpriced. Two phrases that every realtor has heard a thousand times are, these people are dreaming, and what are they thinking? That's the way buyers react when they see an overpriced house. Houses for sale with too high a price tag will not sell quickly. They may not sell at all, and they can become stale. Now, let me tell you something. Anyone will tell you there is nothing worse than a stale listing, because the first question from a buyer is, what's wrong with this one? They begin to analyze your house, maybe overanalyze it, and they're frequently going to decide that if no one wants to buy this house, there's got to be a good reason. You do not want your house to be the stale listing. Quick story. Several years ago, I recommended a list price of $299,000 for a house in my town. The sellers insisted that the house be priced at $329,000, $30,000 above my recommendation. And their strategy? We'll reduce it in a couple of weeks if it doesn't sell. <laughs> We've heard that before. Several agents in my office actually had buyers looking for homes in the price range of two seventy-five dollars to $300,000, but they never even saw the house because it was offered for sale above their price range. About four weeks later, after many showings and no offers, they called me up and said, let's reduce it to two ninety-nine, dollars which is, of course, the price I had recommended. The house then sat on the market for more than three months before it sold. These sellers had missed the market by overpricing their house. This is not a mistake you want to make when you're selling your home. Another mistake people make, underpricing the house. This is no better than setting the price too high. You do not want to give your house away. You want fair market value. At least with an underpriced house, it may sell quickly. The only problem is you should have gotten more money. Don't cheat yourself. Another quick story. A family friend called me several years ago to tell me she was listing her house for sale with a realtor who was a lifelong friend, but she wanted me to see it before it went on the market the next day. After walking through the house, I asked what the price was going to, what the house would be listed at, what price they were listing it at. The price she quoted, which had been recommended by her realtor, was about $40,000 less than the current market value of the house. I was really shocked. She informed me that her realtor was a full-time teacher who sold real estate part-time. Now, that's another colossal mistake. Never, ever hire a part-time realtor. 
the realtor was clearly not familiar with current market conditions. Well, the house came on the market the next day, and guess what? 12 offers. First day on the market, 12 offers. Realtors knew that it was underpriced. The buyer clients all knew that it was underpriced. A bidding war ensued, and the house sold for $25,000 above that asking price, but in my opinion, still well below the market value. Well, needless to say, the seller was delighted. She thought she'd gotten a windfall. Two weeks later, a smaller house on the next street over, very similar to hers, sold for $20,000 more, $20, more than hers. <laughs> I don't know if she ever found out about it, but I'm betting her realtor didn't tell her. Another big mistake you can make, and I recommend avoiding, is failing to reduce the price quickly. I have always said to my buyer clients, I'm sorry, my seller clients, don't get married to the price. You may be disappointed. When the house isn't selling, you need to reduce the asking price, but reduce it quickly. And now this may be one of your biggest hurdles, because when sellers set an asking price, they tend to start making financial calculations in their mind, and they might even start making financial decisions with a particular amount of money in mind. It's an absolute necessity to get past that mindset and reduce the price quickly if you want to sell and you want to get the best price. The first three to four weeks of the listing are the most important because anyone looking for a house in your price range will have been introduced to the price in that time frame, three to four weeks. If you don't receive an offer in that first three to four week period, the market is telling you the price is too high. Not your realtor, not me. The market has spoken and told you the price is too high. You need to salvage the situation as quickly as possible by reducing the asking price immediately. Never go past four weeks with the original asking price if you are serious about selling your house. I recommend devising a pricing strategy um, because there's more to setting the asking price for your home than just picking a dollar figure you think would be right. Carefully studying the comparable sales is a great start, but this should accompany a well-thought-out plan, a pricing strategy. Be very careful to avoid setting a dream price or choosing a price you want or need to sell your house for. Too many times I've seen this backfire on my clients. Having realistic expectations is always the first step to a quick sale. And remember, determining the best list price really needs to be a hard, cold business judgment. It should be based on factual data and market trends. It should never be an emotional decision. And this is difficult for many people because you've lived in the house for a long time. You've de developed a lot of emotional attachments to your home. But this pricing the house has to be a non-emotional decision. Now, part of your pricing strategy should be planning for price reductions. Simply setting an asking price and saying, I guess we'll reduce it if it doesn't sell, that is a terrible strategy. This usually results in a listing getting stale and the house taking longer to sell and ultimately selling for less money. You want to set an asking price that will create a sense of urgency and maybe, if you're lucky, attract multiple buyers. Sit down and create a realistic schedule with specific dates and amounts for your price reductions. For example, let's say you plan to reduce the asking price every three weeks until you receive an offer. That's a pretty good idea. It's a good strategy if you want to stay competitive with similar homes for sale, because you can bet the houses you're competing against are doing that. 
you always have to keep in mind that the amount you want or need for your house is totally irrelevant. Want and need have absolutely no bearing on market value. You don't want to hear yourself saying those words out loud. Quick story. I listed the house of a family who insisted on a list price of more than $50,000 above my recommendation. They were adamant about it. They would not listen to any kind of rationale. I showed them computer printouts of every similar property that had sold in town. And there were other, con- there are other homes currently on, on the market similar to theirs within just a few blocks, all of which were listed for much lower prices. I even had a team of agents from my office walk through the house. Agreement was unanimous. It was entirely clear to the impartial eye that their house was worth nowhere near the price they wanted. They were simply not able to see it objectively. Well, they were really slow to reduce the asking price, and the house finally sold. Seven months later, the sale price, $60,000 less than their, their original list price. The house sold for approximately what I predicted it would sell for. This house most likely would have sold within several weeks at that price. Now, how much money did they lose during that time? Over the seven months, they had to pay the mortgage, utilities, maintenance, and general expenses, not to mention the continuing aggravation of daily cleaning, lawn cutting, picking up after the kids, getting the house ready to show. You get the picture. This was a very expensive mistake. Uh, Let's go to a break. I'll be back in a few minutes. I'm Duncan Smythe. This is House Talk. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you like what you're hearing on the show today, or if you have a question or comment for Duncan, contact him on Twitter at HousetalkGuy or email him at HousetalkGuy at gmail.com. Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at ColossalMistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, DuncanSmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor. Hi, I'm Joe Galita, president of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Many people are seeking to make a difference in the world, but few actually have the tools to do so. Every week, host Mary Beth Lodge and her guests will have you thinking forward and will give you the tips to keep your life, goals, priorities, and choices on track. The result is an easier, happier, and more inspired life. The name of the program is What Matters. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What really matters is the positive changes that you'll bring to your life and the world just by listening. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. To reach our show, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com or tweet Duncan at housetalkguy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe. Uh, We're talking about pricing your home to sell. And comparing your house to others on the market. And I'm going to say it again because I want you to remember it. It's no longer your home. It's a product for sale. It has to be marketed that way if you want to get the best price and do it quickly. You have to arrive at the asking price and subsequent price reductions with objectivity. Now, I know this is difficult for sellers because I've never encountered sellers who thought their house was inferior. Our house is much nicer than theirs is a phrase that every realtor has heard a thousand times. Well, guess what? No, it's not. This is one of the toughest things a realtor has to tell a client. And we know you don't want to hear it, but you expect nothing less than absolute honesty from your real estate agent. Listen to these comments. Your rooms are small. I smelled cigarette smoke when I walked in. Your kitchen is older. Your yard needs work. You have a lot of cleaning to do. Anyone can tell you have cats. If your realtor is not saying these things to, do, to you, you've hired the wrong realtor. These are things you need to hear. These are things you want to hear. These are exactly the things prospective buyers are going to be saying. Uh, let's talk about high points and low points of a house because I want you to be realistic about the value of the amenities because what you consider to be the best elements of your property may be totally undesirable to potential buyers. And here are a couple of examples of different opinions people have of some very common features of houses. Um, Swimming pool. If the seller has a swimming pool, they might feel, wow, one of the best features of the house. Uh, We use it every day of the summer. It was the center of our outdoor family life. Lots of great memories, big parties. The buyer might look at it and think, wow, what a maintenance nightmare. And it takes up the whole backyard. I have no lawn. Plus, there are potential safety issues. Kids drown in backyard pools all the time. I don't need that. Another amenity, huge yard. The seller might think, wow, loved the huge yard. I had loads of room for my kids to play. I had four big dogs. They ran around the yard. It was terrific. What is the buyer thinking? A lot of work needed to keep the yard nice. More grass to cut. Larger property means higher taxes. And I'm not going to use it. Why should I pay the taxes on a large property like that? Wallpaper. Seller's thinking, Love the colors. Matches the furniture, matches the window treatments, matches my dress. (laughs) While the buyer's thinking, I hate the colors. It has to be ripped down. That is a big job. Carpeting. The seller's thinking it adds color and adds texture. It feels good under your feet. And the buyer is thinking, this is a cleaning headache. Why would you want to cover up hardwood floors? You get the idea. Your personal taste is not necessarily the same as the buyer's. Features of your home you view in a positive light may be viewed as a huge negative for the buyer, maybe something that will cost a lot of money to change. Having an unbiased, neutral observer, such as your realtor, to advise you in matters of that like that, that can be really valuable. 
Okay, I want to talk about price groupings because when you make the decision to reduce your asking price, be sure to reduce the price into the next price grouping. Think about when you were searching for a house, okay? Most buyers search for homes in a particular price range. For example, two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars. Now, if you have your house listed for three twenty, three hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and you decide to reduce it and just reduce it to three ten, you're not attracting any new buyers. Whereas if you reduce to two ninety-nine, a fresh new group of buyers will all of a sudden discover your house. Buyers who could not afford a home over three hundred thousand are now going to be introduced to your property. So think about that when you're reducing and talk to your realtor about it. Your realtor will have some comments on that also. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about multiple offers. And this applies to both buyers and sellers. Because when one, more than one person wants to buy a house, the result is a competitive bidding situation. Although this seems like the ideal scenario from a seller's standpoint, it's a matter that has to be handled delicately. Because if you allow buyers to continue to bid against each other, this can work against you as a seller. You don't want to create an auction environment where the final sale price soars far above the actual value of the property. Because in many cases, buyers get caught up in the excitement of the moment and they overbid. You know what happens? They wake up the next day, they have buyer's remorse, they withdraw the offer. Then where are you? Every realtor has been involved in a transaction like this. For a seller, I think the best way to handle this is ask for a final sealed bid from each potential buyer. Make it clear to all bidders that you will not entertain a higher offer tomorrow. This is their last opportunity. You can then review the offers and accept the best one. In a multiple bid scenario, here's what's usually happening behind the scenes. The seller's agent has notified the agents representing the buyers that it is a multiple offer situation. Each bidder is informed of this and consults with their realtor about what to offer. Now, the buyer's agents have no idea what the other offers will be, and they just advise their clients usually to make the maximum offer that they're comfortable with. And then the sellers choose the best offer. That's how it works. Now, best offer. Best offer is usually the highest offer, but not necessarily. If a seller has two or more offers that are close in price, they may choose an offer that's slightly less in dollar amount, but the buyer is more solid financially. For example, a buyer paying all cash who needs no mortgage is considered a less risky transaction. The sellers have the right to choose whichever buyer they want. They don't have to choose the highest offer. Or they can make an emotional choice if they want to. They can choose the couple with the cute kids, for example, if they want to. They don't have to choose your offer just because it's the highest. In a multiple offer situation, my advice to buyers is to consider what I call the kick yourself price. What's that? I'll explain it. In a multiple bid scenario, I always advise buyer clients to consider this. Consider the maximum price the house could sell for that you would be sorry you hadn't bought it at that price. Here's an example. Let's say the house you're looking at and bidding on is listed for $250,000. And you think about it, talk to your realtor, and you decide, well, I'm going to bid $255. A little bit over, that's, maybe that's a good offer. I don't, you don't know. But let's say you lose the bidding war to a higher offer. Now you find out a couple of months later after the closing that the house sold to another bidder for $257, only $2,000 more than your offer. Would you kick yourself for not bidding higher? 
On the other hand, would you not kick yourself if the house sold for $280,000? Using this technique helps a buyer arrive at the maximum offering price that they're comfortable with and will not regret the next day. Quick story. I was an agent for the buyer in a multiple bid scenario for a house. The house was list priced at $699,000, $699,000. I knew there were two other offers. The agent had advised me of that. So I advised the buyers to bid well above the asking price of $699,000 if they really wanted the house badly. After a prolonged discussion, they would only offer $703,000, $4,000 above the asking price. They lost the bidding war to another buyer. Much later, when they found out what the house sold for, they were really upset. It sold for 705. They had bid 703. They were really upset, kicking themselves for not bidding higher. They told me they gladly would have paid 710 for the house. Well, I had to throw up my hands because if they'd offered that initially, they'd be living there right now. The kick yourself price also applies to sellers. During the negotiation, as you consider the buyer's offer, stop and ask yourself this. If the house is still on the market in three weeks and hasn't sold, will you kick yourself for not having accepted that offer? Many sellers have looked back in retrospect and regretted not accepting a good offer. Okay, I'm going to talk briefly about drama pricing. We don't see this a lot, but I want to suggest it for some sellers. Every seller wants a bidding war. A bidding war occurs when two or more buyers make offers for your house. As they bid against each other, this forces the price upward resulting in a higher sale price. With multiple offers, it's not at all unusual for the final sale price to be well above your original asking price. One sure way to cause a bidding war, drama pricing. So what is drama pricing? You've seen this technique, technique used by real retailers all the time. When they want to attract customers, they'll use drama pricing. For example, an ice cream shop has a grand opening with 10 cent ice cream cones. That's drama pricing. A movie theater has two for the price of one admission on a less busy night. That's drama pricing. A startup airline offers an introductory flight for $1. Drama pricing. It always attracts attention because low prices always attract bargain hunters. Dramatically underpricing your house makes buyers take notice and will very likely cause a feeding frenzy. This is a guaranteed way to create a sense of urgency and make your home stand out from the competition. But there are risks to this. Another quick story. Several years ago during the market slowdown, a seller in my area put a house on the market in a neighborhood where most of the houses in the immediate vicinity were priced or valued between a million three and a million five, 1.3 and 1.5 million dollars. But the real estate market was slow. It was between 2007, 2008, somewhere in that time frame. The home needed a lot of updating. It really needed work. And the seller needed to sell quickly. So they consulted with their realtor and the seller decided to try drama pricing. Now remember, the neighborhood supported 1.3 to 1.5 million dollar homes. They set the list price at 9.99. Every realtor and every buyer familiar with the neighborhood realized this was a bargain. First day on the market, the seller received 15 offers and sold the house for about 10% above the asking price. That's how drama pricing works. Now, what is the risk? Well, that's kind of obvious. If you're trying to capitalize on the frenzy that occurs in an auction, bidders could have buyer's remorse the next day if they believe they've overpriced, overpaid for the property, and they could withdraw the offer. Now, this is not an option in some areas, uh, but in other areas, you can withdraw an offer the next day. So that does happen. And the other risk is if no offers materialize, even with your drama pricing, 
uh, it's going to be difficult to reintroduce the house to the market at a higher price because they already know your bottom line. So if you decide to try drama pricing, I would recommend that you set the asking price at your very bottom line and just wait for offers because you might get them. It just might work. Okay. Let's go to a break. Um, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm Duncan Smythe. This is House Talk. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you like what you're hearing on the show today, or if you have a question or comment for Duncan, contact him on Twitter at HousetalkGuy or email him at HousetalkGuy at gmail.com. Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at ColossalMistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, DuncanSmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor. Hi, I'm Joe Galita, president of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. To reach our show, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com or tweet Duncan at housetalkguy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe. We have a call caller on hold. Let's talk to Barbara. Hi, Barbara. You're on House Talk. Hi, Duncan. This is Barbara. I live up in Bergen County. How are okay. you? I'm good. Good, good. I just have a couple of questions in regarding buying a home. You know, now that it's the winter months, which is a question that, you know, a lot of people are, think, are, are thinking of is, you know, 
when buying a home and, you know, you're getting ready to close on this home mm-hmm. and it is, we, we have a lot of snow this winter. And mm-hmm. my question is, is the, the homeowner is supposed to be the one taking care of the shoveling of the snow. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Well, here's, mm-hmm. here's the thing. If by chance the homeowner does not shovel their walk, stairs, driveway, whatever, and you're ready to close and it closes, this house mm-hmm. closes, what happens when nothing is shoveled off and if movers or just the, the new buyers that already are closed on this house, mm-hmm. somebody falls? Can you tell me what who who, <laughs> wow. who is re- responsible for this at this point? Um, uh, it's it's a question that I've been thinking about. And um, is this is this a situation you've been involved in? This is a situation, yes, that I've heard about through a friend that I've not been involved with, but they have okay. told me about it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I might be in the process of starting to look for a home myself. And, you know, when you talk to other people, everybody gives you different ideas and recommendations. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let me call, give you a call just to see, because I know it's the homeowner's responsibility, but I really... Um, I'm not sure what is done in a case like this after mm-hmm. it closes. That house, let me ask you this, Duncan, that house sure. probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have closed. Is that correct? Well, let me ask you this. First of all, uh, was this, when, when they purchased the house, were the people, were the sellers living there or had they moved on? No, here's the thing. This house okay. was a house that was flipped. So in other words, oh, okay. there wasn't anyone living in that house. Okay, now I got it. Yeah, it that, was an investor who basically just wanted to, you know, fix it up, flip it, uh, and move on. But he still has a responsibility. Absolutely. Well, here's the bottom line, Barbara, is that the house changes hands at the closing. That means when you get up from the table with the attorney's officer, with the uh, whoever's conducting the closing, when you get up from the table, it's your house. That's how it works. Until that moment... The house belongs to the other guy. So if the house burns down the night before, not your problem if you're the buyer. Not your problem. Anything that goes on prior to the closing, that house is still owned by the seller. The buyer has no obligation to do anything. I mean, the homeowner has to maintain uh, homeowner's insurance. They should, they should be, first of all, of course, they should be shoveling off the property. If the house is being sold, how do you look at a house? How do you show a house to clients when there's a mound of snow in front of the house? That's ridiculous. Exactly. That's my point. And the, and the other thing is, uh, whether it's a, a, a builder who's rebuilt a house, as you're suggesting this was, uh, someone who's, who's uh, maybe renovated the whole house and is reselling it, you know, they really ought to be checking on that house like all the time. I mean, if you, if you had done the renovation work, wouldn't you be going to check this house? I, I would. Yes, I would also, but it doesn't look like that's what was done. And I was just curious about that. Well, there you are know, a lot because of things there you... are people now starting to come back into real estate for investment purposes. It was yes. on the back burner for a while, but I'm that's seeing right. more of it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah and, and, go, ahead. go ahead. Now, I was just saying that, that the house has to be maintained even if you're not there. 
uh, one of the greatest dangers at this time of year, especially if you're in the northern half of the country, is you've got to make sure that you haven't gotten a pipe breaking inside the house. You have to make sure the heat is working. I mean, there are all kinds of things that can go wrong when you're not there inside the house. And you know who knows that better than anybody is the homeowner's insurance companies, because if they know your house is vacant, guess what? A lot of homeowner's insurance companies will not cover a vacant house because they know what can go wrong. Exactly. And that was another funny, you just mentioned that about the uh, plumbing, because Mm -hmm. um, the the friend that was discussing this with me also Mm -hmm. had mentioned that um, the the house that they're suggesting was, of course, like I said, it was a person who, you know, uh, redid the whole place. And then uh, with the, uh, you know, it being that he was going to sell it. And so now you have actually a vacant house. So you fix the right. house up, and it's it's vacant, which is fine in the in the spring, the summer, and and the fall. But now you have this house sitting there in the winter, and you just mentioned about pipes now yeah. bursting. Well, here's the thing that creates but, a mess bigger than you can imagine. How how bad that mess can be? Exactly, exactly. Because what what she was saying is is when the house was inspected. You know, for everything, everything was fine. Uh, and then when, you know, they went, moved into the house, the, the uh, first day they were there, uh, water was not coming out of one of the pipes. Oh, so that's probably exists. frozen. Uh, yes, that's what I think. I, uh, I, that's what I'm asking you is, is you know, peop, I don't think the house was being checked properly. The heat well, let me ask you a question. Uh, was the builder selling the house or was it being sold through a realtor? Uh, it was being sold through a realtor. Because it sounds to me like the builder just sort of walked away. I did the renovations and just sort of dropped it in the realtor's lap and went to it, Florida or something. It, it, exactly. But well, the, well, then it becomes the realtor's responsibility because somebody's got to maintain the house. Somebody has got to be aware of, as you said, shoveling the snow. People have got to be able to get to the house. It doesn't make any sense not to maintain the house. Exactly. You have, and you know, so yeah. that it does become the agent's responsibility. Oh, absolutely. A, a realtor, uh, it, that sort of thing is a realtor's job, especially when the realtor knows the house is vacant and, and maybe even friends with the builder. And the realtor and the builder, this is one of the big parts of a realtor's job, is maintaining contact with everyone in the transaction. And I've said this before, but it's... A realtor's job, a realtor is the very center of the transaction. A realtor makes the deal work. A realtor is in contact with the attorney all the time and the inspectors and the other realtor involved in the transaction. And, of course, the seller, which in this case is a professional. It's a builder. This realtor should have been talking to that builder every couple of days and saying, is everything on track? Is, is the heat on in the house? Uh, is everything finished? Have we had the inspections? Is the mortgage moving forward? That's the realtor's job, and this realtor clearly wasn't doing the job. Well, that's what I—that's what I think. I—I I really believe that that—that that, you know, that's the question. I think it really boils down to the the agent not doing her job correctly, yeah. and then who suffers in this is is the new buyers. The new buyers. Well, what else was wrong when they got in the house? You said it was just uh, covered with snow, and they had a problem with water running. What else? Anything else? Uh, yes, there was there was another issue, and that that this is a funny thing. When when someone lists a house, okay, an agent lists a house, uh, they you know they have the lockbox put on unless a person doesn't want it, but right. uh, they put a key, of course, in the lockbox. Now right. you would think, even if it was a builder's 
uh, you know, or, or, or someone that just is, is, is bought a house and is fixing it up. You put a key in the lockbox, but you would have to have more than one key, I would think. <laughs> more than one. If I were the yes. builder, I'd have a half dozen keys. Exactly. I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have one in my car and I'd have one at the office and I'd make sure the realtor had at least one. And plus, here's another thing. I can tell you from my experience as a realtor, when a seller gives me a key to a house to put into a lockbox, my first stop before I go back to the office is to stop and get a copy of the key made <laughs> because I want to make sure I have an extra copy. Exactly. Because I, I would think that, I mean, accidents do happen. Somebody might, you know, accidentally take the key with them, forget to put it back or, or, yeah, or, or right. whatever. So or or I mean, lock it, in my case, lock it inside the house. I've had that happen a couple of times where the realtor opened the lockbox, went inside the house with the key and then locked the door and left. Exactly. So you do, yes. So these yes, people had key. got to the house and there was no key? No. So what happened was <laughs> is they moved into this house mm-hmm. and uh, they only had one key to the garage. Now, it's not a, it, you'll have to open that garage door. You know those old doors, basically, mm-hmm. where you got to lift them. It's, it seems yeah. like they weigh 100 pounds. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they're they're heavy, and that's the only way. So, at the closing, the the uh, the other thing that they found out was the lawyer did put um, keys into uh, the package. Okay, because no one was okay. uh, at the closing on the seller side. The seller of the property okay. was not there, nor was this agent. And the, age, the agent didn't go to the closing. No, the agent, no, didn't I, go to the I don't closing. Think, I don't think in all my years as a realtor I've ever missed a closing. I, you will always go to the closing. That's part of your job. Exactly, exactly. So with that being said, they took the keys from the closing, and they knew they had the one key to the garage because that's mm-hmm. the only key they had. And so that's the, only, that's the only way they had access to the house. Ex- yes. Exactly. That's the only <laughs> way they I'm had sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's. It, it, these things seem ridiculous. I mean, the it, realtor didn't do. Realtor didn't do her job. His job. Whoever it was. Exactly. Just, so what yeah. happened was is that uh, they then you know after they got themselves settled they of course went to the the uh, front door with these keys and the keys opened absolutely nothing. So they have a house now. They only have a key to the garage, and now they're already in the process of getting um, uh, what do you call it, a locksmith and everything, because they and, don't and have I'll any tell keys you, to and, the house. And changing all, changing all the locks in the house—that's a few hundred bucks right there. Uh, I know, and I think yeah, the builder I don't should know. pay that. In, in your experience, Duncan, wouldn't mm-hmm. wouldn't you think that they can actually, the lawyer at this point can actually go back to the other attorney and see if there's anything that could be done oh. by these? I would absolutely make some demands. I would absolutely make some demands if I were in that position. Uh, because the realtor didn't do their job. Did the attorney do his job? Well, he would argue that he, had, he did his job because maybe they just gave him the wrong keys. But the builder's wrong and the realtor's wrong. That's the bottom line. Exactly. So that, that's what I said. I said, you know, I'm going to call, make a call, and ask these questions because, uh, you know, uh, it sounds like it's all made up. I mean, it doesn't sound like this could be even possible. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. A lot of people uh, don't know what realtors do, and we have a, a very tough job, but it's very detail-heavy. There's There are loads and loads of details to every home sale, but it seems like this realtor missed the primary primary uh, things that had to be done. Exactly, and I think what... And people, you're right. I don't think people think... 
really, what do they think? They just go in a car and take the people and show them houses. They don't think we do much of anything like, you know, what you're saying, what you do as an agent. So that's Mm -hmm. why when this person was telling me, I'm saying, this does not seem right at all. (laughs) <laughs> at all. But no. I said, I, I'm going to make a call uh, to Duncan on House Talk and see what he what he thinks about this. So you're, you're in agreement that that's... That's, oh, that's, that's just, you know, there are realtors who don't do a good job. I, I, most of the realtors I know and I'm friends with and I work with are absolute solid people who do a terrific job. But there are those who, who, don't, uh, who don't do a great job. There, there's some, there's some are better than others. That's the bottom line. Well, you know what, Duncan? I think that might be you're you know right for any kind of position. You know, any job. Some people. Well, that's what I tell people, as I've said on a couple of prior shows, is when you're choosing a realtor, uh, you really want to spend a lot of time talking to them and asking them questions and find out what questions they ask you. You want to develop some trust and some rapport, you know, with your with your with a realtor. Exactly. You know? Just to find out what what they are all about. Exactly. Well, Duncan, Barb, I've got to go to I've got to go to a break. I appreciate your call. Uh, call me again sometime. I certainly will, and I thank you. And have a very good evening. Thank you, Barbara. Let's go Bye-bye to a break. Now. Thank you. Let's go to a break. I'm Duncan Smythe. This is House Talk. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you like what you're hearing on the show today, or if you have a question or comment for Duncan, contact him on Twitter at HousetalkGuy or email him at HousetalkGuy at gmail.com. Duncan's book, Colossal Mistakes Home Sellers Make, is available at ColossalMistakes.com or through any online bookseller. Duncan can also help you choose an outstanding real estate agent in your area. If you'd like Duncan to recommend a great local realtor for you, go to his website, DuncanSmythe.com, and click on Recommend a Realtor. Hi, I'm Joe Galita, president of Millennium Home Mortgage. We know that owning a home is the American dream, and we are here to make that dream come true for you. With years of experience and exceptional customer service, we will help you navigate the often murky waters of the mortgage industry, working hard to find a mortgage program that's best for you. For more information, go to mhmlender.com, Millennium Home Mortgage, the first place to go for a mortgage. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. 
To reach our show, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to housetalkguy at gmail.com or tweet Duncan at housetalkguy. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to House Talk. I'm Duncan Smythe. Uh, we have a caller. Let's talk to Elias. Hi, Elias. You're on House Talk. Okay, great show, by the way. I want to thank, thank you for getting all this information out to uh, the realtors out here. We definitely need another well, thank source. thank you so much. Of definitely hearing what's going on. Um, my question to you is, I, I went on a listing appointment uh, last mm-hmm. week or two weeks ago. It was uh, okay. I sold this guy a house. Uh, sorry, I was a listing agent on his house years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually a sub-by owner that I got, and he called me because he wants to resell his house. I did okay. not sell this house to him. He bought it on his own. But okay. uh, I went there, and I gave him a free price analysis, and uh, mm-hmm. basically the numbers that the comparative market analysis came up with with the computer were mm-hmm. totally different from what he wanted. Uh, basically, okay. $100,000 gap. Whoa. I, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So well. with that in mind, I, I didn't want to mislead him and tell him I can get the house sold at that price because there was no comps that can justify the house uh, where it was situated, the location. Nonetheless, yeah. um, he did find another agent who, uh, I don't know, their urgency to list the house at $100,000 overpriced, but uh, he actually did that. And my question to you is, really? is it right that I denied this listing, or should I just take in the listing and oh. lock him in for six months to there a is, year? There is no question you did the right thing. Uh, let me tell you something. In, my, in my, our business, I believe it's ethics above everything else. I think that if you had lied to that guy and said, yeah, I can get you 100000 more for your house, you'd be guilty of the worst. I mean, that to me is, is like a crime. I, I think that telling somebody you can get them a lot of money for their house that you know isn't possible, that's just dishonest, Elias. That's really dishonest. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think you did the exactly I mean, the right thing. Here we are being professionals in our profession, and mm-hmm. you have other realtors out there who are saying, hey, you know what, I can get you this. And then... Yeah. We take a lot of criticism. We take a lot of criticism for that. And, you know, I, I've gone on a lot of listing appointments, and... I, the, the bottom line is you want to give them a price that their house is going to sell, a realistic price that's right on the money. It, people don't realize how important it is to nail that price. You know, you really want to nail the price right on because otherwise your house is going to be sitting there in six months. You know, and right. you're going to have to be vacuuming every day and all that st- sort of thing. And that's just, it's never to your client's benefit to tell them, oh, yeah, I can get you 50000 or $100,000 more. That's, that's never to the client's benefit. That's ridiculous. Yes. So that's why I just wanted to verify. I, I, I believe I did the right thing. I, I will. Absolutely. Hopefully he'll contact me uh, when it expires. You know, right that's, that's frequently what happens. A lot of the times that's what happens. They'll, they'll list it with somebody else because maybe they thought they could get a better deal or the commission might be less expensive. Or they, You know, agents tell people things that aren't true. And I don't like to think that a lot of realtors do that. I, because most of the people I work with are absolute stand-up people. They're not like that. And I, I'm not lying to somebody to get a listing, and you didn't either. Yes. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> okay, Les. Uh, I, I answer you so your much. question? Well, yes, thank you, you so have. much for calling. I appreciate it. You got Call it. Call again. Th- thanks a lot. You got it. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, let's, uh, let me take a look. 
I've got a, um, let me take an email question. Sam in California, uh, he writes, my wife and I were approached by a builder uh, who wants to knock down the house and build uh, on the property. Are there any special considerations when you have an offer like that? Yeah, let me tell you, Sam, between 2000 and 2006, uh, in some parts of the country, there was a boom in knockdowns. That is, uh, knocking down of older homes to build newer ones. Uh, most often, a smaller, less expensive home on a large property would be the prime target of an investor. And they would tear the house down to make room for a new home or renovate the existing home and resell it for a profit. This can be really lucrative for builders. And in many parts of the Northeast, builders were actually just writing a check for $500,000 or more just to demolish a house. And within a few short months, of course, a new house, really a big million-dollar property, would appear. This can be a highly lucrative endeavor for the investor. And even in a market slowdown, the builder can probably still make a pretty decent profit. Builders and investors have mostly relied on realtors to inform them about knockdown properties. And every realtor I know in the business has a few builders that they deal with. And any property introduced to the market with knockdown potential creates a lot of interest. Within hours of it appearing in the multiple listing system, builders and investors will get a call from the realtor. Uh, the potential for large profit brought a lot of new builders and investors into the marketplace in the early 2000s. They were looking for properties to purchase. And this even spawned a new group of people that were actually going door to door to ask people if they were interested in selling their property. They've had some, they had some success, some builders, in going door to door and just knocking. Now, one huge advantage of selling to a builder is that no staging of the house is necessary. You don't need to invest any money in improvements or upgrades. The builder will purchase the property as is. There are no structural problems, no concerns structurally. You may want to consider sale to a builder if your house is in poor condition or if you can't afford to make needed repairs. But here's the bottom line. Be absolutely certain that you know the market value of your house before you sell it to a builder. They may offer you a price that sounds great and urge you to decide quickly. They might tell you that your neighbors have already sold. Don't be too quick to accept the offer. Uh, I would always recommend getting an appraisal first or getting a market analysis first. You may ultimately end up accepting the builder's offer, but you have to make an informed decision. Uh, uh, because a friend, a friend of mine once got burned that way, but I don't have time to tell you about it right now. But you definitely want to uh, get professional advice, speak to a realtor, uh, get an appra professional appraisal, find out what the property is before you accept the builder's offer. Okay, it looks like we're up against the clock. Next week on House Talk, we're going to talk about environmental issues involved with the home sale. How should you deal with underground oil tanks, asbestos, lead paint, radon gas, and mold. Special thanks to my engineer, Michael Surgit, and my producer, Brandy Jackson. If you missed any part of today's show or you want to listen again, go to my show page here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Duncan Smythe. This has been House Talk. Thank you again for tuning in to House Talk with Duncan Smythe. Like us on Facebook and join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.